No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome aboard, everybody. Thank you for joining me on Talking Bass and PDX. This is the Bass and Warm Water Forum, where we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. On this episode of Talking Bass and PDX, I have two very, very special guests. But before we talk to them, let me talk to you about Talking Bass and PDX, the podcast. The podcast is all about fishing in the Northwest, and I hope that you enjoy listening. I would also like to ask you to help us grow the podcast by telling your friends about Talking Bass in PDX. We can be heard on many, many different spots like Spotify, Anchor FM, iTunes, and if you're computer challenged, just Google us up and you'll find us on Google. Well, back on episode 10, I had Brian Chapman of Willamette Weapons on, and we talked about some of his specific painted lures that he was working on and that he sells on his website. And on episode 30, I had Steve Fleming of Maha Outfitters. Well, after talking with, the, with Steve on the podcast, he invited me along for a day of fishing on the John Day River and mentioned that Brian would be fishing the front of the boat and I could be fishing the back of the boat. Well, just getting on the John Day River to me was going to be a spectacular trip. And I must say, it is a world-class fishery and it is absolutely the most fun you will have bass fishing anywhere here in Oregon. As we got ready for the trip, we headed out to Fossil, Oregon. We'll talk about accommodations. We'll talk about the trip. So let's not wait. Let's get right to the interview. Well, I would like to welcome Steve Fleming and Brian Chapman to the podcast today. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. You bet. Glad I could make it. Well, it was a little difficult getting the three of us together, but we got it done. And um, as I introduced on the beginning of the podcast, we took a trip uh, on the uh, John Day River. And Steve, are there several parts of the river that you guide on, or do you tend to take the same trip every time? Um, it depends on the river flow. There's a couple of sections that I do in the low water, which is what we're in right now. And then there's one section that I really concentrate on from, like, February through the 1st of July. And I do it almost every trip that, in that section. I see. Well, the section that we, that we went on was quite exciting because we had such a great fishing day. Now, Brian, as soon as we got to the spot where uh, Steve was going to launch the boat, you jumped out and immediately started throwing uh, a lure into the water, and uh, you had a fish before I even got anything tied on. What lure were you throwing? That was a wake bait that Steve turned me on to several years ago, and I've painted, Steve, how many have I painted? I must have painted about 40 or 50 of those for you over the last couple of years. Yeah, probably at least that many anyway. Matter of fact, the first job I gave you was like 20 of them that had kind of chipped and gone, and you did such yeah. a great job. That started up a whole bunch more painting for me then. I, I, I happened to find one that he uses. I found one at a garage sale, and I painted it 
for myself, and I figured, you know what, I'm going to use this thing. And I just wanted to see, get a feel for it before we started doing it because it was my first time really throwing it. I wanted to see exactly how to make it work and do its thing. And I happened to catch a fish in that first little hole. It was great. When you take folks to, uh, on a guided trip and you provide all the gear, now this time we, we took our gear, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Do you provide them with their level of fishing, or do you tie on things for them to try? Well, both ways. Um, uh, I, su- I supply spinning outfits, which makes it easy for everybody, but I do have some bait casters too, uh, and I encourage people to bring their own bait casters because they're more comfortable with them probably. But um, they'll get to fish a little bit of everything until I see where their strengths are and, and so they can catch lots of fish because – you can catch them on most any technique, but the techniques that they do the best with is the one I'm going to focus on. And so sometimes I don't use tackle. Sometimes I use soft plastic stuff too because it just is easier for the beginners to do do it that way, and they catch a lot of fish too. Well, that was what I thought was such a a great time. I'll jump to the end of the trip, and then we'll come back. When we got done and we were pulling out, it, the trip left me with, gosh, I want to go again. It, it is that exciting. So I, I just can't impress upon my listeners enough that if you want a guided trip and you want to have a great day fishing, you need to try this. Now, let's get started down the river. Um, as we took off down river, Brian, what lures were you set up and ready to throw? Uh, I rigged up a couple of different setups. I rigged up one, uh, a crankbait called, a, it's one of my depth charges that I paint, and I paint it in the olive rusty crawdad. And the other bait that I painted up or that I had rigged up was a jerk bait that I call my bolt. And that was just based on previous experience. You know, I fished with Steve in the fall uh, for about three years now. I think this is my third or fourth trip in the fall. And I learned something every trip. And what I, the biggest thing that I learned was, not all the fish are eating the same thing at the same time every day. And so Mm -hmm. having a variety of bait fish and crawdad patterns um, really plays to my strengths. And so that's, I rigged that up and I also rigged up uh, a spinner bait and I also had a Ned rig tied up so that I could, you know, kind of probe some of the deeper pockets that you can't necessarily hit with a, a hard bait. I understand, and uh, I know that I brought a couple of my own uh, rods, and uh, Steve was helping me out a little bit, tying different things on for me to try. Steve, with kind of a, I don't know, beginner-type fisherman like myself, or maybe an intermediate, um, how do do you read what I was doing and, and start teaching what I should be doing? Well, number one, you have to catch fish. Otherwise, the trip won't be very successful. And so sometimes, um, uh, you know, a crankbait bite takes somebody like Brian's skill level and and working it really well. And Brian does a really good job with it, too. And he catches good fish. But I had a guy a week later come, and uh, matter of fact, I posted a picture of him using that bolt that Brian was using. He had two nice bass on two, like two pounders on, uh, on the same lure that Brian was using. 
But that guy fished a lot, and he had a lot of skill level, and so he, he could get away with, with throwing those crankbaits well and catching fish. Everybody can throw them, but do they catch fish with them? Depends on how well they can work them. A lot of times I'll start people out with small plastic bait, in other words, a rubberized bait uh, on really light weight, and then because every fish in the river will bite it, and then that way they can catch a lot of fish. And, you know, just I think the day before your trip, I had three people that don't fish very much at all. As it turned out, it was a little wet that day. So they were in rain gear most of the day. But, heck, they caught 90 fish each. And all they wanted to do was catch fish. They never fished anything but that soft bait on a small rod. And, of course, they were happy because they caught a lot of fish, and it was working for them. And they got to figure out the hook sets, and, and things were working good. And then next trip they do with me, I can bump them up and put them on some crankbaits and stuff like that then. That's something I really appreciate about you, Steve, is you cater the trip to the fishermen. You don't expect them any certain skill level. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember the first trip that I went with you on the river, I really wanted to learn how to read the water. And you took every single opportunity at every hole as we went down that section and you pointed it out and you said, here's where they should be. And then it was up to me to make sure I was making the right cast, but you catered that trip to me to make sure that I was doing it. And like on this last trip that you, uh, we went with my family, um, you catered the trip to my, my youngest son and my father by helping them just catch tons of fish. I mean, it was incredible when you were able to just cater to it. And it was, they had so much fun. Well, it's fun for me, too, when I see them catching fish. But, you know, the trip I took last Saturday, I sent you a picture from the river. I put one of your Makos on 1.5, and uh-huh. it was a square bill. And I want to tell you, that guy caught 50 fish in the afternoon on that one wow. lure. And it was amazing. <laughs> And that's the one he caught the 20-inch fish on, too, uh, the master angler fish. I mean, it was just on fire. That lure was on fire. Good fisherman, no question about it. This guy fishes a lot. He does fish a lot. But even still, uh, he, I mean, even he was blown away. Uh, and the afternoon didn't start until 1 o'clock, so for almost four and a half hours, he was catching fish. I mean, just he was catching fish. And it was really something to watch. One lure, just one lure. That's all he was throwing was that one lure. But that's what they wanted. Like Brian said, that if that's what they want, you want to be sure you got it. And we had it that day. And actually, it worked pretty good the next day, the first part of the day in particular. So, Now, just for my listeners, if you hear a specific lure mentioned on here, uh, we will tell you if it is uh, what I call private reserve. You're not going to be able to buy those. Or you can buy them on Willamette Weapons website. So, uh, Brian, you want to review the lures we've talked about so far? Is that Mako available on your uh, on your website? Yes, uh, the Mako Squarebill in the bluegill pattern. Uh-huh. Uh, I, have a, I have several different bluegill patterns that I paint. I also paint several yellow perch patterns. But yeah, that Mako bluegill is um, is on my website. And then the other lure that I talked about was the Bolt, and the Bolt was in the T1000 pattern, which is a juvenile. Um, pike minnow pattern, which is very popular really on any any river system in Oregon and Washington, that that pattern will work. Um, and then the other one was kind of a John Day River exclusive, 
Um, it's an olive rusty crayfish. And I have two olive rust, or I have two rusty crayfish patterns on my website. One of them is a red rusty crawdad, and one of them is an olive rusty crawdad. And I usually tend to go throw the olive one just because the majority of the crayfish that I've seen have that kind of olive blue look to them. Um, and rusty crayfish are only in the John Day River. They're not anywhere else. And, and we'll get to that here in just a minute about um, match the uh, lure that you're using to the available food. Uh, but before that, I just wanted to uh, point out, when I jumped in the boat, I looked around thinking, well, I'm going to see some electronics here. On my boat, I have two different screens. I can uh, you know, do side scan and things of that nature. And I saw no electronics, so I'm going, oh, boy, this is going to be a, a fun-filled day. Steve, how do you read the river and depths? Well, um, probably part of its experience, um, I did used to run electronics years ago. And the river doesn't change too much, to be honest with you. And the only problem is is sometimes that people were getting too concerned about watching the screen. And uh, it was confusing them. So I pulled them out, actually. But I did used to run the screens and showing, you know, showing depths in one thing or another. And Brian and I have even taken, excuse me, my handheld hummingbird with us, you know, uh, the, just an old simple hummingbird, and used it sometimes to recheck depths in one thing or another. But uh, Brian, Brian's being a little modest too because he spent a lot of time catching crawdads on the John Day River. Matter of fact, years taking pictures and painting those, and he's got it dialed really good. He left off one lure, which is his wasp size, which is a little smaller than the bolt, and same pattern though the the the, the uh, squawfish minnow pattern. Man, that thing catches fish like crazy. Um, oh, doesn't set, doesn't necessarily catch the huge fish, but it will. It could, and it will sometimes. But it it definitely catches them. Same. Same coloration, different different lure, smaller lure, doesn't go as deep, blah, 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 but works well, too. It, it, it's a real small profile. I call it a finesse jerkbait, and it's mm-hmm. to about, uh, you know, it's no more than like three to five feet, but it's a very small profile um, mm-hmm. jerkbait. And it's one of those ones when I can't seem to get a bite you doing anything else, I'll throw that and I can, I can catch a fish on that because it's so subtle. They can't resist eating it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was going to mention we might as well we might as well put this out there because it's going to get there at some point. Uh, Brian caught a hundred fish that day, and I'll let him tell the story about the other trips that he's taken recently and caught over a hundred fish. I caught thirty that day. I was thrilled to death with thirty because I was trying so many different lures and things going on. But I will tell you one of the things that I did did learn was the angle. I would throw, say, straight at the bank, wouldn't get anything. If I moved five, six feet a little back or forward, seemed to change the uh, the angle on the lure, and that seemed to that seemed to change my bite ratio. So that was that was an interesting lesson too. Now, Brian, you were you were fishing off of the front of the boat, more to the right all the time. Were you changing your angle much? Um, what I was doing was I was trying. I was changing the angles often, actually. Um, Sometimes the fish, I find that the fish will set up in a, in a certain fashion, depending on the flows of the river or 
Um, sometimes it's just the type of bank that it is. Um, I find that they'll sit in a certain way. Um, but more importantly, I was trying to make sure that when I'd fire that lure up to the bank, you know, especially with that jerk bait, for instance, I'd fire the jerk bait up to the bank and I'd give it two quick jerks just to get it to go down and you get it to dance side to side. It's that side to side action that really gets them going and then stopping it and letting it sit there and drift down in the current. Because a lot of times they'll be sitting behind one of those root balls or um, a big boulder and the fish will sit there in ambush. And when that thing just twitches in front of them, it gets their attention and then it starts coming towards them without you doing anything except another twitch, twitch, just almost in the same spot. They can't resist. They just come up and eat it. Yeah, it was really interesting to watch uh, and try to learn the technique. And I have to tell you, I was probably about 50% successful at getting it to work. Not too sure why I couldn't get it to do what I wanted. Uh, Brian, you and I talked a little bit about line and about the uh, tip that you were using on your rod. you want to share with our listeners what you were using? Yeah, um, well, I was using a ten-pound or ten-pound P-line CXX. I tend to try to go as light a line as I possibly can under the circumstances. Um, and then the rod that I was using was a seven-foot medium. Uh, it was medium-heavy action, but it's got kind of a fast tip to it. So if you're going to be using a seven-foot, you can use a medium-heavy, uh, like a like a ten to twenty-five rated rod. Or if you're going to use a 6.6, you need to use more of a medium action so that that bait can actually have a chance to work. Because the rod tip, just like with throwing crankbaits um, and some other lures, you want to allow that bait to hunt and move. And having a little bit softer tip on a jerkbait allows that bait to just dance side to side better. Yeah, that, that seemed to make a big difference. Now, Steve, when you're taking someone out that's newer or maybe uh, intermediate type fisherman, do you move them up in the in the spectrum as they're getting better, or do you try to help them refine that skill of, of say, a plastic bait or, or a crankbait? Um, I'm probably going to move them up just to see how it works. Um, you know, because if they're getting better, all they're doing is they're getting used to casting and they're getting more, they're getting a cast better. You really do need to be close to the bank, and Brian just about said that too. You know, if you're one foot from the bank or closer, you're going to catch more fish if you start your bait there. And that's why you really do need to cast ahead of the boat because, like, he did the two jerks and then he wanted it to drift. Well, the problem is if you throw it squared off from the boat or behind the boat, the boat's dragging it. It doesn't get to do that natural drift then. And so it's more important to throw slightly ahead of the boat and to be within a, at least within one foot of the bank, almost on all the presentations that we do, um, because they watch the bank for their feet. And so a lot of times they'll say, I threw it right in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he, he saw it coming in the flat water without any wind. He saw it coming, swam over and waited for it. It's probably more likely what happened. And, uh, I mean, because you can see them sometimes. You can see them moving. I mean, I'm watching. I can see them run over there, and I can tell this is going to be exciting when it hits. But I don't want to say, you know, I want to take their thunder away from them either. But but you do need to be right next to the bank. That's where they're watching for their feed. That's where they're looking to. So when you get there, that's where you want to be because that's where they're looking. That just saves time. That'll put them there quicker. 
and you probably catch a whole lot more fish. So I would say, uh, and everything here seems to be learning how to fish, and not necessarily just the John Day River. I think you can apply this in a lot of places, but if, if I were going again, mm -hmm. I would be practicing in my backyard casting so that I mm -hmm. could almost hit the bank. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I'm fishing out on the Willamette River, I can throw as hard and as far as I want to. It doesn't seem to make any difference because I'm going to float a plastic uh, uh, plastic bait back to my boat. But on the river where we were fishing, I think people need to go and practice a bit before they go out there. It, it would be a lot more fun, I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, having said that, you know, Don, the way you say that, sometimes on the, I find on the, even on the Willamette, there's certain areas where, like, you have big weed beds, for instance, that have deep drops next to them. Being able mm -hmm. to target those drops exactly with, you know, with whatever lure you happen to be throwing, whether it be a Ned rig or a spinner bait, but being able to hit those pockets is crucial to catching more fish. No, absolutely. So it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Casting, I think, makes a big difference uh, wherever we're fishing. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to bring up, um, Steve, that I wanted to ask you about was, you know, because we were going in the fall and I didn't really think about what we were going to have to do. If I were to go again in the fall, what kind of shoes and, and clothes should I be wearing and not jeans and not tennis shoes? <laughs> well, you know, since you were here, things have changed dramatically because they quit irrigating um, on October 1st. And see, you guys were fishing in about 70 CFS. It's now 160 CFS. It's come up that much. And it's, it, it's, and what that actually equates to is it's probably come up about six inches. So there's no reason to get out of the boat at all. So there's no waiting. You don't have to worry about any waiting or anything. And so right now the clothing would be completely different. But like let's say from the time you did your trip in earlier, you should wear waders. You should wear maybe a, a, you know, sweatpants, take them off. You saw I had a swimming suit on. I mean, uh, I'm not tough. That's just it's just all I need to wear uh, and, and a top. And then I have rain gear in case it should rain, but it doesn't rain very often up here. Matter of fact, if anything, it doesn't rain enough probably. But uh, right, right now things have all changed. Now there's a lot more water going down the river too. So uh, it's just you have to you know, call up ahead of time. But if you dress in layers, that's what the letter says I send out. If you dress in layers, then you can take it off and then you'll always be comfortable. Yeah, the water wasn't uh, terribly cold. I was comfortable as far as even as wet as I got. Um, I I had uh, I had other pants I could have worn. I, I could have thrown on some short pants and probably been plenty comfortable. But um, I'll know more for next time. Now, as we floated down river, and maybe you guys recall the different spots that we stopped in, were any of those areas? Would you say they were more productive? or less productive on a normal basis? Do you expect to catch a, a, a number of fish out of each spot? Well, no, no I don't. Um, some areas are shallow. And, um, and because of the shallowness, um, when we get later in the year, like when you came, the fish have pushed out of there, and they're in the deeper spots then. 
And so those spots that were extremely shallow, like only two feet deep for the whole flat, uh, there weren't very many fish in there. And you probably remember me saying, hey, look, throw top water, save time. There's not going to be many fish in here. Um, you know, we've got to go through this. I've got to get to the good water. I've got to get to the deeper water. And so, so there are pretty much you have to kind of know what the water is and where you're at and everything. But the deeper the water, the more the fish are going to be. There's going to be more fish in deeper water for sure. Yeah, I noticed that when we did get into the little deeper pools that we that we did catch a few more fish. Now, I tried, uh, well, both of us, both Brian and I, were throwing a crankbait. And, and um, Brian, you want to talk a little bit about that crankbait? Because I was really having a good time with that for a while. Yeah, the crankbait is a, it's similar to a, wiggle, a storm wigglewort. And what it does is it has a nice big wide wobble, and it, it's a hunter. So it, it really hunts around the rocks. And, you know, we're, I don't think we're fishing anything more than about six or seven feet all day. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of spots where it might have been 10 feet. But the majority of the areas we're fishing were like zero to six feet. And that's a prime zone for that size of crankbait. It dives at six to eight feet. And because of that wide wobble, it's able to go around the rocks really well. Um, and it went – and. In the pools where crawdads, where they're really keyed in on crayfish, it, that, that lure is really hard to beat. And one of the things that was happening, uh, Brian, is you and I, as we would need to get out occasion because, as Steve was saying, the water was down a little bit so that he could get the boat through the area, we were counting hundreds of, of crayfish. <laughs> in certain pools, yeah. There was yeah. lots of them. Yeah, and then in other pools we saw none. But... Um, now that that crankbait, as I recall, was painted exactly like those crayfish are. Yes, and that, that's done by intention. It's, we call it well in fly fishing, you call it match the hatch. Um, in bass fishing, you can call it the same thing, but I I feel like when you do that, you eliminate the am I throwing the right color? You know, I know when I was younger and I was bass fishing, trying to figure out am I throwing the right color was really important. It's like do I throw white or do I throw chartreuse or do I throw red? You know, what color do I throw? Well, if you're matching what those fish are really keyed in on and eating, it eliminates that that question. And then you can focus on, am I fishing it at the right speed? Am I fishing it at the right depth? Am I making my mm-hmm. presentation accurately? And you'll and it helps you. It helps me to catch a lot more. It's mm-hmm. it's an instant confidence. Sure. Yeah, incident, uh, an instant confidence builder. Now, Steve, as you're trying to help folks with their presentation, what kind of little tips and tricks do you try to show them? Well, um, watching the tension in the line and so forth. The other problem is, is if they are, most people are trout fishermen to begin with, and so when they're fishing the soft plastic baits, they react too fast. In other words, as soon as they feel it, they jerk and try to set it well. The fact of the matter is the bass doesn't bite the bait typically. He kind of sucks it up. You know, all he has is the tail of the plastic bait in his mouth. So if you jerk right away, you don't get him. You pull the baits down. And when you reel it back up, you see me having to shove them back up. So if you learn to lower your rod as soon as you get a bass bite with soft plastics, count to one, two, or three, kind of depends on the 
temperature of the water type deal versus the day before, but usually a three count in the morning and two around noon, and then after lunchtime, a one count's all you need to do. You need to give them complete slack so they can go gobble, gobble, and get to the hook. That would be the biggest problem that people seem to have is they react too fast. Now, with a crankbait, they're there. They're eating it. If you feel them, just set the hook. And so some people, I just have to put them on crankbaits because they just are never going to be able to give the fish slack. They're just not set that way. They can't think that way. And that's okay. That's why, they have, that's why I'm glad I got really good crankbaits. But by the same token, it does make a difference. And then topwater bait, similar problem, though, to the soft plastic. You know, most guides, whether they be fly fishing or gear fishing, when topwater lure is being presented, when they see, when you see a fish taking it, you should go, stop, don't reel, God save the queen, then set the hook. But people jerk them away too fast more times than not, and the fish isn't on the bait yet. Just the water that he was shoving in front of his mouth went over the bait, and he thought he, that was, he, he was already biting it, and that's not true. Well, that's, that is such good information. I, I, I continue to learn every minute that I'm talking with you guys. The uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up, um, Steve, was that now the trip that you took us on, uh, Brian and I, seemed to be pretty full day, pretty long day, which I was very happy about that. Tell our listeners a little bit about how you can cater to to their needs. Short trips, long trips, what kind of, of um, trips can you set up for folks? Well, you know, obviously I'm not going to start without them. So if they tell me what time it's going to be comfortable for them to be at the put-in site, that's when we'll start their trip. I would probably tend to go maybe a little later then than I normally would to give them a full day of fishing. But normally they're on the water fishing 9 to 10 hours a day. Um, I can shorten the day, of course, but that means we're blowing over some water. And I tell them ahead of time, I mean, it's up to them. They tell me how long, and then oftentimes they'll have caught so many fish by the time it gets to be 5 o'clock, they say, just go ahead and row in. I've had enough. <laughs> and that's okay. They caught a lot of fish. You know what I'm saying. And, and so we'll just pull the pin on it and get to the takeout and, and try to have them back to their vehicle around 6 o'clock. Then. Yeah, that was uh, that was the thing for me as I um... – as we were going along, and and I looked, and we finally got to the takeout area. I was like, "Oh no, no, no! We can't stop now." But I I knew that the uh, that we had had a good time that day. The other question is, I got back into town and and uh, talked with some of my friends and uh, you know, went crazy about how wonderful this trip was. It was all guys on this trip, so there weren't any uh, there weren't any questions about you know. If, if somebody needed a, a potty break or anything like that, what can you do if a female wants to go with you? Oh, no problem at all. And, and I do take quite a few uh, ladies. You know, um, they, they can do it any way they want. We do have a porta potty on board. It's, a, it's mandatory, but even still we have one. If they'd like, I can set it up for them behind some willows so they have privacy and they can go ahead and, and go to the bathroom that way. Um, it's not really a problem. Um, once they know about it, it's probably the biggest thing because they're concerned about if there isn't going to be anything. And then that's going to be awkward and uncomfortable for them. But, no, we can plan ahead for these things. And given five minutes' notice, I can find a very uh, place that's not obvious to anybody uh, around. Of course, there's nobody around anyway, basically. But, but even still, we're 
or they won't have to feel like somebody could be observing them even. I think that's important for, for even men sometimes too. So. Yeah, and I mean that was the uh, the other thing that I came away from the trip is how comfortable we were pretty much throughout the entire day. You can stand up in your boat, you can sit down in the boat. There's there's a lot of different variances that that uh, that you can do. Brian, we, you and I had been talking about um, uh, about your website a bit and about your sale. I wanted you to uh, let our listeners know about what's coming up. How to how to get onto your site and uh, uh, if they about the sale. Well, okay, so uh, every, uh, about four times a year, I do what's called a live sale on Facebook, and um, so the next one that's coming up, I, I I had one earlier this spring in April, and I'll have and I've got one coming up in October. It's going to be October twentieth at six p.m. live on Facebook. All you have to do is go find the Willamette Weapon Facebook page, and I will go live on that page. Uh, I sent out an invite today. Or in fact, I set up an event today, so if you actually go into the event, you can just hit accept, and it will actually send you or say, I'm going to the event, and it will send you a reminder that I'm going live on the 20th. And it's just a fantastic event. This event, I'm going to have six boards of lures, and if you see a, a lure on the board, the first person to call that number gets to buy that lure, and I'll be giving away prizes that are assigned to random numbers on the boards. So if you happen to pick, say, number 32, and that happens to have a prize associated with it, then you get to buy that lure, and I ship you, and I also give you the prizes, and we show off the prizes as we go. Um, but we usually have anywhere from 50 to 70 people online at any one time, and it's exciting. You hear the banter going back and forth, and uh, the energy is just really high, and you get to see lures that some I have on my website, some I don't necessarily have on my website. I'm going to be releasing two brand-new types of lures at this live sale. Um, it's, it's just a really good time. You, If nothing else, you come away laughing and having a good time with it. Oh, absolutely! I have uh, gone on and watched your sales. Uh, they're they're an entertaining hour, hour and a half. So they're they're wonderful. If you miss the sale, uh, check with uh, check on his Facebook page. Check on Willamette Weapons Facebook page. You'll see the next one coming up. If not, jump on their website because Brian will sell uh, lures on there also. Now, now, Steve, on on your trips. When do you start and stop uh, going? Do you do you pretty much end this month? Um, yeah. I uh, well, I, here's how I use. I have to go when the when the fish can be caught. In other words, the water has to be warm enough to generate some bites. I don't know that I've ever not been able to catch fish by March first. I can't remember a time. So I start March first for sure, and sometimes maybe a little bit into the latter part of February. And then I go until November 1st. And I'm not saying that you couldn't still catch fish after that, but you you're, can end up with some tough weather and might not be able to get fish. And I guarantee fish on the next trip's free. And, and I'd rather not get in that position where I'm having to do that because that doesn't make much sense. And people come to catch fish, and that's what I want to do. Is I just want to keep them in fish. Well, I think what I enjoyed most is, number one, it's all catch and release, which was uh, – Great fun. And 
how far out should someone try to book? I mean, I'm imagining that by the spring, you're getting booked up pretty quick because people are going to want to catch those larger fish in the early spring. Yeah, they like to target them before the little fish come active. But um, again, the people need to book before the first of the year. In other words, before January 1st. They also get a discount if they do. But by the same token, um, by March 1st, I'm pretty well done. There's days here and there, but there's not a lot of days open at that point. Um, so they need to really book earlier to get the, to get the day they want, save some money. And then they definitely need to book before March 1st if they can, because otherwise it's going to be slim pickings anyway, and maybe there won't even be anything. So if they're, if they're locked on a certain date. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, you've got to really plan early. But I tell you, if you want to go on a trip that uh, that I'll never forget, I enjoyed it so much that uh, that I would I would go again. I really think it was that much fun. Now, what's the best way for folks to contact you? Should they jump on your website? Well, to contact me, I don't I don't have a, an online booking uh, program. Uh, they're going to need to call me uh, to actually book the trip. Now, they can send me texts, and we can communicate that way, or they can send me emails. We can communicate that way, or they can call me direct. One of those three ways will work. Um, but they won't know what days are open until they text me, email me, or call me. There's no other way to find out what days are available. And I think the one thing that I did leave off that's kind of important, I've got a backup program that I've had since 1993. I'm the only guide on a private 125 surface acre lake. And so if the river's not fishable, and Brian had to do this on his very first trip with me, uh, he had a third week in March trip, and the river just wasn't catchable. It wasn't going to be a good trip. And we went out to the lake, and they caught 70-some-odd fish that day. I have a backup plan that works well. It's a really good largemouth bluegill lake, and it, it produces a lot of nice fish, and it produces a lot of fish, too. Oh, it's, it's, it's a fun pond. I fished it twice now, and both times mm -hmm. we just had some stellar days. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that is great. That if someone books a trip, they're almost guaranteed they're going someplace. They're either going to go out on they're the river. Or... Yeah. yeah, they'll go fishing day, and they'll get a good quality trip too. Um, so they need to call me, and my only number is—I only have one number, and it's nine seven one five three three five seven three three. Now, for my listeners, if you've missed that number. Nine seven one five three three fifty seven thirty three. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'll put uh, Steve's name right next to it, and I will also, Steve, put your email address in there too, if you don't mind, so that folks oh, can no, uh, can email you. Um, Steve, you. Do, you still, do you still have some days left in October? Yeah, I do because you see they close the steelhead season. That's when I knew, normally do my steelhead diving. So I do have some days in October available now so, so not normal for, for those little listeners that are listening right now october is a premium time to catch big bass and steve knows uh -huh. where the spots are to be able to catch those big bass so if you want to go catch a big one now's a great time to do it it's not just springtime it's fall too now steve alluded to this earlier uh a master um catch and I'm not saying that right, am I, Steve? 
No, it's a master angler fish recognized by N Fisherman and North American Fishing Club. It's a 20-inch or bigger smallmouth bass. So if you're out there on the river and you catch a 20-inch or larger, uh, do the does the customer send that in or do you send that in? No, they uh, they have to send it in themselves, but uh, in fishermen will send them a um, a, a notice, you know, uh, acknowledging the fact that they caught one. They'll need to send a picture of the fish also with it. Yeah, and I mean, they have to be a mem- member of North American Fishing Club for them to uh, honor it. Okay, so just a couple little things that you need to do. But if you catch a twenty-inch smallmouth. First of all, that's a heck of a big fish. You'll really enjoy that. But then uh, but then you can send it in in fishermen and uh, be recognized. Now, also, I, I didn't want us to get away before we talked about the number of fish caught and the number of doubles that we got. Because I, I don't remember the exact number. I believe we were approaching double digit as far as uh, doubles between Brian and I. But that was the most fun you could have was when – one person hooked on to a fish, and the other person hooked on. And, Brian, you were talking a little bit about that earlier. Yeah, it's just you're firing up the school of fish. You know, it's it's that they're com- part of their competitive nature. And it seems like, you know, I know it's happened to me multiple times where you're going down the river and one of us will hook one and the other one almost immediately hooks one right after. And we've had it where you hook one, you hook one while the first one's being taken off. The first guy throws back in and catches another one. You just fire up that school and it gets them really going. It's so neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great fun. Now, you, go ahead, Steve. Well, since you guys were here, I did a TV, I did a YouTube video deal that's going to come out eventually, and really great guy um, uh, called Budget Fishing, but. They ran a. They had the drone up, and so all three of us were fishing, and we had one triple, and we had lots of doubles, lots of doubles. But we did have one triple, where all three of us, the cameraman had one, I had one, and the host had one, Eric Burkhunter. That's so, so cool. It was kind of fun. Yeah, it was cool. Right. <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing. You cannot have you you have a good time on these trips. I hope everybody is uh, is listening. Uh, gets that this is a good time. I, as a matter of fact, because some of my listeners are out away from the Oregon, Washington area, it's it's worth a flight into Portland and a a, a couple three hour drive out to uh, out to the river because it it is uh, a fantastic uh, trip. And and then uh, the other thing I wanted to cover, Steve, is accommodations out in Fossil. Now, there is there one hotel or two. Well, there's one motel, but there's two bed and breakfast type places, and then Airbnb I think has five places here in town that they have available on Airbnb alone. And plus, there's uh, motels close by, 20 miles away, in a couple different directions too. So there are quite a few accommodations actually. Yeah, I did not realize I uh, that there were so many. I knew that there were a couple of. Uh, Bed and breakfast is in town. In fact, we drove by them, and they look very, very nice. If you want to bring your RV, there are, are two different parks to stay in. Uh, of course, in they're yeah, right in town. So plenty of places to stay so that you're not rushing into town and rushing out of town. Uh, you can come in right. the day before and enjoy the trip and then and then head back out. Brian, what was it, about three hours back into Portland? Yeah. Okay. So it's 
Not not a bad drive at all. Brian, last words that you would have on this trip? Um, you know, I wish we could have done it over uh, done a second day. Um, you know, a lot of times I see mm-hmm. it drills this into me every time I go. It's like you really need to book two days. That way you can figure them out the first day, and then you can really whack them the second day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if you if you get a chance to book a trip with Steve, plan on booking two days. It, it, it's it's an incredible experience. Um, you know, what I wanted to make sure of is just be able to talk about you know the 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 teaching opportunities that you get a chance to. It's it's not like you just show up with the guide and the guide just puts a lure in your hand and goes. Steve takes the time to teach you, and um, you know, and I and w- when I'm in the boat, I try to help teach as well. Um, but Steve's got a way with his clientele that's very down to earth, very easy to talk to, and he'll show you exactly what to do to be successful. And it makes you, it'll make you a better fisherman. No, absolutely, I agree. I, I have come away with this with. Uh, many little things that I'm adding to my fishing repertoire. And Steve, last words for you. Well, I just have a pleasure having you guys on the boat with me. Having Brian fish with me as often as he does is a learning experience for me too because he reads things uh, that I never used to think about even. And uh, he's up my game considerably, especially using his lures. <laughs> this guy that was just here, man, we were, we just hammered him with a couple of his lures. Uh, it was amazing. I mean, it's just amazing how well things work when something is well put together and when something is painted the right color. And, and he's gone, done the research. He's caught the crawdads. He's done the other things. He's even fished with biologists here on the river. He's even got underwater pictures of different types of fish he's been told would be available in the river, and they are. He's made his lures look like them. Those things are big differences, huge differences. So it cuts down a lot of stuff. And fishing two days, you you will fish a minimum of 50% better on day two. It's amazing how much better the people do because they're dialed in. They kind of know how this is going to work now. They're more comfortable. Even And we fish different water usually. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't fish the same section, but we normally fish two different sections then if they fish two days. Um, It just makes a big difference. He's right on that. It does make a big difference. The trip that we went in August, we we caught a lot of fish on that first day on that Monday, but we caught more and better quality fish the second day because we figured out what they were doing. It was an amazing difference. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I hope that my listeners can uh, hear in your voices that this is a world-class trip. This is not just uh, go out and have have a little bit of fun. This is go out and do some serious bass fishing. Guys, I'd like to thank both of you for stopping by, being on the podcast, and uh, giving us a little more knowledge uh, as we work through this. Again, I would like to thank Steve and Brian for taking me along on the trip and for being on the show. If you have questions for Steve or Brian, I'll have their contact information in the show notes or contact me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. 
And I would like to thank everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the Backcast. Mm-hmm.